this issue that he's going to be covering this morning in this first section of this chapter is both a delicate and controversial issue. It's delicate because there are a lot of churches here in El Paso that still observe or they still practice the use of head coverings. And you may have seen them, they come out of their churches and they're got their hair up and they got the, you know, the veal or the covering. Um, and also, it's controversial because we live in a society today that rejects the notion that one gender should submit to another. Another reason, another way that this is controversial is that it discusses gender. And as you've seen in the news, you've seen um, maybe in your schools, maybe at work, just all over the place, that's a big issue today too. You know, the Bible um, tells us clearly that there are only two genders. Science tells us that there are only two genders. But yet society will tell us that there are more than two. There's all kinds of genders. Another reason is, again, the issue of gay marriage. And I'll get more into it towards the end, but um, this is a chapter that's going to cover some of, those, some of those topics and, or this section is going to cover some of those sections and, and it may make some people uncomfortable. Um, but again, this isn't coming from me. This is coming from the word of the Lord. And so if there's an issue, if there's a problem, you got to take it up with God, you know, and, and again, I'll be talking more about um, how we need to approach him when it comes to these issues, but we need to look at it that way. Like this is his word. So as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to see that the issues of head coverings and hairstyles have a much deeper meaning. My hope is that God will reveal that meaning to you and show you the importance of observing, obeying, and submitting to his order of authority. So like we normally do um, before we read, let's pray together and ask the Lord to soften our hearts to receive and accept his word. Lord, again, just the worshiping you is so beautiful. You are so wonderful and merciful and we never stop being in awe of you, Lord. And so now as we continue this worship, as we get into your word, Lord, speak to us clearly. Show us those things that we need to know, that we need to see, those things that we fall short in. Especially when it comes to the issue of submission. Our pride sometimes gets in the way and it can be difficult to really understand what that means. So now as we're here, soften our hearts again, Lord. Pour your spirit upon this room. Fill every single person that's here with your love, with your spirit. They may receive it and use me mightily as well, Lord. Speak powerfully through me. Fill me with your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, ver this, this first section of chapter 11 is going to be the first 16 verses. And what I've decided to do is just read pieces of it and then explain it to you rather than read the whole thing and, and explain it afterwards. So I'm going to read pieces and then um, break it down to you, break it apart. So, again, we're going to be in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to be in verse 2. We'll be in verse 2. There it says, Now I praise you, because you remember me in everything, and hold fast to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. 
Paul opens this section by praising the church at Corinth in a couple ways. He praises them for remembering and appreciating Paul and he praises them for remaining faithful that they've kept the teachings that he had been that had been given to them. Now the traditions that he's speaking about here aren't the religious ceremonies and rituals that we see in a lot of churches and a lot of denominations that have been made up by man but what he's speaking of here of here is the basic teachings of doctrine that come from the Word of God. When it comes to traditions it's important that we avoid become, becoming legalistic about those that come from man and obediently observe those that were given in the Word of God. So as soon as he's um, done giving them that shout out, he starts to get into the first problem that he's become aware of about their public gatherings. Some of the women were flaunting their freedoms by unnecessarily ignoring social norms and the roles God had established for men and women during corporate worship. Now according to Galatians 3.28, all people, regardless of race, sex, were equal before their Creator. And all believers are one in Jesus Christ. The local church here in Corinth was perhaps the only place in the Roman Empire that welcomed everyone, regardless of nationality, gender, or, and, and social or economic status. So as a result, women were able to find a place and a voice in that church that they otherwise wouldn't have had in society and in other religions. However, as women became more prominent figures in the church in Corinth, God's principles of order and authority were being swept under the rug, which, was, which as a result was creating disorder and confusion and confusion when it came together as a church. So, although it is true that men and women are equal in Christ before God, it doesn't mean that all differences between the sexes may be blurred. Also, even though the New Testament doesn't seem to permit women elders, according to 1 Timothy 3.2, women in the early church were gifted with prophecy and were allowed to exercise it. They were also permitted to pray during public meetings. But according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, they weren't permitted to usurp the, the authority over man or to judge the messages of the other prophets. If they had questions, they were to ask their husbands or other men outside of the church meeting. So Paul's intent here isn't to forbid women to, to worship or prophesy, but rather encourage them to exercise restraint by using their knowledge, using what they know, using their wisdom, and using their gifts in humility and in love. Again, as I mentioned, this is one of those biblical traditions that we, as a church, adhere to. I absolutely believe that God doesn't discriminate when it comes to His spiritual gifts. All men and women have the potential to be used mightily by God. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God doesn't look at outward appearances but instead looks at a person's heart. However, the Bible also tells us that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And since God is perfect, His order must therefore be perfect. Because of this, I want to make sure that this church observes that order when it comes to the gender roles God established when He created us. Therefore, if a woman wants to teach or lead in a ministry here, I'd first look to see if there was a male gifted and capable to fill that role. If not, then I have no problem. There wouldn't be an issue at all with me 
or with any of the leaders allowing a woman to lead a, a particular ministry for them to step up and lead. Now let me explain why. One of the keys to understanding verses 3, to, th verses three to through 10 is to recognize the word head. Some consider head to mean nothing more than a source in a sense that a head of a river is its source. Though this word can mean this, Paul simply isn't saying man came from Jesus, woman came from man, and Jesus came from God. Though that simple understanding is true, it goes much deeper because, it, because in biblical thinking, a source has inherent authority. In its full sense, head is the idea of, idea of headship and authority. It means having the appropriate responsibility to lead and, and being equally accountable. Therefore, it's right and appropriate to submit to someone who is our head. With this understanding, we see Paul describing three headship relationships. Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So because Paul connects these three relationships, the principles of headships are the same among them. Therefore, women in the church have two options in their attitude towards their head. They can imitate the kind of attitude that we as men often have towards Christ, showing a rebelliousness that must be won over. Or women can imitate the kind of attitude that Christ displayed towards God the Father, loving submission to Him as an equal. The idea of headship and authority is important to God. In His great plan for, uh, for the ages, one of the greatest things God looks for from man is voluntary submission. This is what Jesus showed in His life over and over again. And this is exactly what God looks for from both man and woman, though it will be expressed in different ways. The place of women in the church is not a question of superiority or inferiority, but is based upon humility and liberty. Jesus willingly, voluntarily, gladly submitted to the authority of the Father. Does this mean that he was inferior to the Father? No. Philippians chapter 2 makes it clear that he chose to humble himself. So too, the woman who chooses to submit to the authority of her husband or to the male leadership of the church does so not out of inferiority, but out of humility. Now, that's, now let's see how Paul applied this to the Christians at Corinth. Let's pick up in verse 4. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies, or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. As I mentioned in these three verses, Paul describes how the principle of headship applies to all Christian men and women. He tells the believing men at Corinth in verse 4 that because God has established an order of authority, it's inappropriate for men to pray with a, with a head covering. Now, the idea of head covering was important in this and many other ancient cultures. To wear a head covering or a veil in some translations 
was a public symbol of being under the authority and protection of another. So for a man praying or prophesying in that time and culture with his head covered was to say by his actions, I'm not in authority here. I'm under the authority of others. Therefore, his actions implied that he was ignoring his role as head over the woman that God established in Genesis 3.16. On the same principle, for, the, for a woman for a for woman who prays, for a woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, says by her actions, I'm not under the authority here, or I'm not under authority here. Therefore, her actions implied that she was not only dishonoring Christ by ignoring his or God's established order of authority, but also dishonoring the men, her head, by refusing to wear a head covering. Under these words of Paul, women are free to pray or prophesy, but only as they demonstrate that they are under the authority of her husband and the male leadership of the church. He goes on to say that if a woman refuses to demonstrate being under authority, then they may as well become bald and make it clear where they stand. Now, although we don't have the same customs, that men and women had in the first century, God's order of authority that he established should still be adhered to. The Christian man shouldn't surrender his God-given authority and should never forget who has authority over him. Men, if you're listening, watching, if you're here, you were called and you were created to lead and it's God's plan for you to exercise your headship in the home and in the local church under the authority of Jesus Christ. When you abdicate or allow someone to usurp that authority, not only is it a dishonor to you, but it also dishonors the divine framework that God set up. If you're a young man here and you're not married and, and you're not yet in a, in a position of leadership, if you want to learn how to develop those leadership traits, follow the positive examples of the great men that are written about throughout the Bible. Also, learn from the godly men around you who are leading their families and ministries in a manner that is bringing honor and glory to God. Men, as you lead, do so humbly, lovingly, and compassionately, just as Jesus did. See, after he was done washing his disciples' feet, he said this in John 13, 14 and 15. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. The Christian woman shouldn't ignore the authority that God placed over her and should keep in mind the, God's purpose for establishing that authority. For many women, as I mentioned in the beginning, the idea of submitting to the authority of man may, may be considered laughable and may be considered offensive. They laugh because they consider, or as they look around and they look at some of the men that they're surrounded with, they can see that they themselves are incapable to lead. They, they can't even lead themselves. And they're offended because they bought into the message of modern feminism, that modern fe feminism has sold, sold to them. It's the same kind of attitude that led many of the women in Corinth, of Corinth to throw away their head coverings and ignore the structure God had created for men and women. 
That's why Paul had to address this issue and clarify the spiritual meaning and purpose of head coverings. Christian woman, although you aren't expected to wear head coverings as a sign of your submission to male leadership in this generation at this time in the 21st century, you still are expected to honor God's order of authority with your attitudes and your actions. You see, when you allow your Christian husband or your leader to lead, you, to lead you're bringing honor to yourself, to him, and to God. Now, if he chooses not to take that role, then do what you have to do. Take the, take that, take the reins and lead. But if he does, if you allow him to, if you give that Christian man, if, he's, if you see that, that he has a desire to lead, but you've been doing it for so long, comes a point where you, you have to let go of the reins. You have to allow him to lead. That's his God-given responsibility. That's why he was created. He's supposed to be the leader, the pastor of your home. And when he leads, let him learn from his mistakes. Don't approach him and say, ah, I told you, you were going to mess this all up. No, just be understanding, be compassionate, be, under, be patient with him. Believe me, it's not easy being in that role because you know, you're responsible, not just for the wife, but the kids and everything else that's going on. So making decisions isn't, isn't easy. And you know, if you, especially you women who have been doing it for so long. And also, rejoice with him whenever he succeeds. Say, yeah, honey, great job. I was praying for you. I knew that you could do it. Give him that pat on the shoulder, that kiss in the cheek, whatever it is that makes him feel good. Give him, make him those muffins, you know, whatever it is that he just, you know, you know I just enjoy a good meal. That's, that works for me. But just, yeah, rejoice with him. Celebrate with him. Now, in the following passage that we're about to read, we're going to see why headship is necessary. Let's pick up in verse 7. Verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Here, Paul explains the reasons why the principle of headship is important in the church and at home. The first reason is stated in verse 3, man is the head of the woman. The principle of male headship in the church and home is important because God designed it that way for His perfect purpose and reason. The consequences of disregarding and or resisting God's order of authority will damage the relationship that God intended men and women to have with one another in the church and in and at home at home there may be there may never be true harmony and in the church it will create divisiveness bitterness and frustration the second reason is found in the order of creation god created adam first and gave him responsibility over eve now genesis 2:18 states that god created women to be a suitable helper for man. 
This meant that Adam was head over Eve, and she was called to share and help in his vision and agenda. Thus, before and after the fall, God had established an order of authority between the genders. So although men and women were made in the image and for the glory of God, the woman was made from man and is the glory of man. So when she submits to God's order, she's not only glorifying God, but is also bringing glory to man. However, it's important to again reiterate the point that this does not imply that woman is created to be inferior to man. Both are spiritually one with the Lord, and one cannot do with the other. Paul makes it clear in verses 11 and 12 that there's a partnership as well as a headship in God's creation. Furthermore, the woman may have come from man in the beginning, but today the man, it's the man who was born of a woman. Man and woman belong to each other and are, in and are interdependent upon each other. Now I'll explain a little more when I get to those verses, but for now I want to explain why God created men and women to depend on each other. Now regarding verses 7 through 10, let me put it this way. As my wife, I depend on Robin for a lot of things. She tells me when my zipper's down. <laughs> you know, she tells me when I've got a hair sticking out from my eyebrow. You know, she, she has so much wisdom and so she is, a lot of times, my voice of reason. She'll tell me, and God uses her in so many ways, so many amazing ways, and, and speaks through her. And so, yeah, I, I believe that God absolutely has her in my life for a reason. I need her. I depend on her. I don't know what I would do if she wasn't around. I don't think the kids would know what to do if she wasn't around, you know? But... And yeah, I do. I depend on Robin for a lot of things. And as her husband, she depends on me for a lot of things as well that are important to her. Now, she could probably tell you the details, but I know generally she depends on me for protection. She protects on me for, for love, for comfort, for you know, helping around the house, whatever it is. I, I don't do it that often, but she does, you know, she does... You know, there are ways that are the things that she depends on. I mean, if the kid's having a doctor's appointment throughout the day and she's at work, you know, I, I'm the one who takes them or has taken them. And, um, you know, but there, yeah, besides those things, I mean, there's other spiritual and, emo and emotional things that she also depends on me for. In spite of the differences that we have with each other, between me and Robin. God created and brought us together not to live independent lives together, if you know what I mean. Not to, not to live together and live independently, but rather be united and dependent upon each other. That's what a true Christian, biblical, spiritual marriage is being dependent upon each other, making those mistakes together, being one in the Lord. We both understand the roles God has given us, and we have chosen to abide by the framework He has established in a marriage. Why? Because we want to honor each other, and because we want to glorify God by being obedient to His Word. This should be the aim of every husband and wife that have decided to make Jesus Christ the foundation of their marriage. And this should be the aim of every young man who hasn't married and will be married one day 
to honor one another and respect and follow what God has made in, in marriage, what He wants a marriage to be. Also, in this church, excuse me, I have nothing but utmost respect for every woman that's here. I believe God has you all here, not so that I can just teach you the Bible, but also that I may learn from you on how to be a better pastor and a leader. Maybe husband, father, all of you women have pieces of wisdom that that one day, if not now, one day God's going to give you to share with me. That is going to be important as my boys get older, as my daughter gets older. You know, some of you women have already had kids that are older, and you guys know what me and Robin are going through with teenagers, with you know, what we will be going through with the teenage girl. That wisdom and knowledge is going to be helpful. And also your gifts, your spiritual gifts. You know, they minister to me. They minister to everyone here. So they're needed. So whether you know it or not, all of you have already taught me so much. So my hope and prayer is that all of us, that we'll all understand how important that we are to one another. That, um, or how important um, it is to use our gifts that God has given us in order to build each other up. And just let me add this side note as well. I do. I have, a, I have a wife that is quick to put me in check. If my attitude starts to slip and, the, and she sees that I'm not treating the women, that, the women here with, with honor and respect, man, she's, she's quick. She'll tell me. You know, she'll take me to the room and say, say give, give me a few words in her own way that I'm, you know, I know not to mess with. And not only that, but I've also given Isaac permission to flick me in the air. If, if, you know, if I get out of hand and show any disrespect towards the sisters here in the Lord, my sisters in the Lord. Now, a third reason God has established male headship in the church is the presence of angels in corporate worship. Whenever we gather together, when we worship in song and through the study of God's words, or the study of God's word, angels become spectators, protectors, and participants with us. They're here all around us. We don't, I mentioned this, but we don't necessarily have to have musicians He's there as we're worshiping and with all our hearts and minds as we're reading the words and, or listening to the words and, and, and worshiping the Lord. They're there. They're here all around. They're listening when we're, as I'm preaching this word, as I'm preaching this message, they're around and they're listening and they're rejoicing and they're praising God and, and they're watching you and they, you know, they're just, and you just see so-and-so and they're, they, wow, they're really getting it. They're there. Again, and they're also protecting us. Making sure that, you know, the forces of evil aren't coming in and taking away the word that's being implanted and they're keeping whatever kind of harm out of this room. And, you've, and you know, we've been blessed that nothing serious has ever happened. No one's walked in those doors and, you know, wanting to cause any harm or damage here with any of us. They're protecting us. These unseen spiritual heavenly beings, the Bible tells us, are experts at worship and know when it's being done in an irreverent manner. So because they're present and take worship seriously, Christians ought to proceed with dignity, decorum, and respect for God's established order of authority. Therefore, how we conduct ourselves during church services ought to reflect how we would conduct ourselves if we were in heaven, in God's presence. 
Let's move on to the next few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Although I briefly mentioned it earlier, these two verses introduce an important qualification into Paul's discussion. Beginning with a strong contrast, Paul reminds the Corinthians that as Christians, men and women are not independent of one another. He does this by referencing the story of creation in Genesis and reminds them why one gender needs the other. Woman was formed from man, but through childbirth, the order of creation is reversed. Thus, God has created this perfect balance to indicate that one cannot exist without the other. Both are of God and both are vital to his body. So it would be fundamentally wrong for men to believe and to act as if they were more superior to the women in the church and to the women at home. And it would be a mistake for a woman to ignore God's framework for male headship in the church and, in, and at home. Paul then adds at the end of verse 12, all things come from God meaning that God has divinely appointed these gender distinctions in order for there to be a partnership as well as a headship in God's creation. All these things come from God so that all will glorify Him. This, therefore, should make the man humble in his position of authority and the woman content as she voluntarily submits to his authority. These two verses also, as I was reading it, confirm two facts that the story of uh, creation makes obviously clear. Biblical fact number one, God only created two genders, male and female. Because the world around us has an incorrect incorrect concept of God and has rejected him, the God that they've created for themselves has told them or says to them that there are more than two genders or more than two genders exist. This, of course, is a lie. And the Bible tells us, is very clear that the Bible, I mean, that the devil is the father of lies. Therefore, as believers, we must never replace the truth for a lie, and we should never be ashamed of proclaiming what is true. Yes, you may be hated for proclaiming that truth. You may be rejected and may be called names of all sorts, of, of all kinds. As long as you're on the side of truth, you have to remember that God is being glorified. God loves truth. He is truth. And when you proclaim it loudly, boldly, stand up and say, yeah, no, there are, sorry, but, you know, if you don't want to make the argument about science, then, you know, theologically, biblically, two genders. You want to reject me for that belief, then, okay, I'm still going to love you. We got to have those kind of, we just got to be, we got to stand with the side of truth. Biblical fact number two, God designed marriage to be between one man, one man, and one woman. Although the, although the U.S. Supreme Court has legalized gay marriage, it doesn't mean that God is okay with it. doesn't mean that God legalized it himself and all of a sudden says, and said, hey, hey, it's okay now. Just because the United States says it's okay, 
I, I, it's okay with me now. Yeah, no. It doesn't work that way. As Christians, we need to be careful not to blur the line between the law of the land or what society says and what God has already said, what He's already established from the beginning of time. Again, this too will cause people to hate you. But always remember the words Jesus said in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And let me also mention that even though we ought to reject anything that contradicts the Word of God, we ought to proclaim the truth in love. There's too many people out there, too many Christians out there that just want to get into an argument for, for the argument's sake. They just want to prove their point and they get angry, they get upset as they're sharing, sharing what the Bible says or what Jesus said and, and it doesn't accomplish anything. All that does is just upset the other person, get them angry and then all of a sudden he wants to fight you or she wants to you know, fight you or whatever, you know, just scratch up your car and you know. You can proclaim the truth. You can stand boldly for truth and do it in love, in a loving way. See, Jesus never got, you know, it never got to that. But he didn't, he didn't go blow to blow with somebody just be, with the Pharisees just because they didn't, you know, believe what he was, just because they were rejecting him. No, I mean, we've got to, again, proclaim that truth in a loving way. All right, let me now share with you the last four verses of this first section, chapter 11. Your Bible's open. Again, we're going to be in verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that a man has long, that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. And long hair, short hair. So many people out there with guys out there with long hair. Does that make it wrong? Well, let me explain here. I've seen a lot of women too with shaved heads. Does that mean it's wrong? No, not necessarily. In these verses, Paul returns to the specific problem of head coverings. This time explicitly referring to long hair on men and women. So after appealing to the Corinthians to judge for themselves, if what Paul was saying is true, he makes these three arguments. Argument number one, is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? The suggestion is, and he's, as he already explained, is that no, it's not proper. Argument number two is in verse, uh, again, verse 14. I'll read it to you in the New King James Version. Does not even nature teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? In the context in which the word nature is used here, it means the regular or established order of things as reflected in a particular culture. So although there were exceptions, most cultures at that time maintained a relative difference in hair length between men and women. Again, the idea here is that there was a distinction. There was a difference. You could tell the difference between a man and a woman. In first century Corinth, it was considered dishonorable for a man to have long hair because it was considered feminine. And we don't have that problem today. I know a lot of manly men with long hair, you know, and 
But then he says in verse, verse 15, But if a woman has long hair, it is, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering, or for a covering. In other words, if local custom does not dictate a head covering, her long hair can be that covering. Paul's third and final argument in this section is in verse 16. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. This verse speaks of the widespread first century custom of all Christian believers. Paul didn't want the issue of head coverings to be a problem for believers in the church of Corinth or, because, or cause them to be divided with other churches. So his argument here, the point he's making, his argument is about uniformity. Paul isn't asking the Corinthians to do something that no one else is doing. Neither he nor the other apostles or the other churches have no other custom. His point is that they remain in fellowship with all the other churches by, by maintaining the God-given distinctions between man and woman. Again, keeping those differences. Let a man be a man and let a woman be a woman. There's too many, many people out there that you can't even tell the difference anymore. Again, there's having long hair, short hair, having if a woman who wants to have a bald head and, and you know, or chooses to have, not because of sickness, but because you know, they choose to, it, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. Again, it's about the heart. And for men, it's, it's for, for a woman, it's about keeping their, maintaining their femininity or fem, femininity how you would say it, and, and for men, it's maintaining their masculinity, masculinity. Be a man. It's just, for me, it's, it's still weird when I see, I've seen big, strong men acting all, you know? Again, uh, I don't know, I don't, again, I don't know anything about them, but I, would, I, I choose to act like a man because that's what God created me to be, a man. For all of us reading this passage today, Paul's overall point has less to do with the actual physical coverings, with the actual head coverings, and more to do with these two issues. Accepting the roles God has given us when we were born, when he created us as men and women, and submitting ourselves to the authority that he has established. As Christians, as believers, we can either reject, ignore, or resist how he designed things to be, or accept, obey, and follow his perfect design. You see, the basic principle of headship applies in every culture. It's applicable. You can, in every culture you go in, there is a difference between men and women. Although it may be demonstrated differently from place to place and generation to generation, there's still is going to be a difference. There always has been a difference and there will continue to be a difference. What ultimately matters to God is the submission of the heart to Him and the public manifestation of obedience to His order. Now as I begin to close here, as I, as I finish up here, the only way 
men and women, humanity, anybody can obtain, can have this heart of submission is by first recognizing why we need to submit to God and the importance of trusting Him. All of us have that, have a certain pride, sinful pride that will say, I'm not going to submit to nobody. I'm my own person. I don't need Christ. I don't need this or I don't need the Bible. I, I, I can do this myself. Oh, you want me to submit to man? Oh, heck no, never. Men, like, you want me to submit to a, someone who lived 2,000 years ago? No, heck no. It's that, again, that, that pride not recognizing that God, again, created all of us to be submissive, to, be, to submit to someone. We need to recognize our need to, uh, to submit to God and the importance of trusting Him. The Bible tells us that there are two categories of people, those who are slaves to sin or those who have submitted themselves to sin and the devil and those who are slaves to righteousness, the righteousness of, of Christ, those who have submitted to Christ. When we die, when everyone dies, those who are slaves to sin, again, the Bible tells us we'll spend eternity in hell, where it says there's weeping and gnashing of the teeth, where there's suffering, where God is no longer present. It will be complete abandonment from God. I can't even fathom what that's like, what that would be like. Right now, we can enjoy, even as unbelievers, we can enjoy certain grace, a natural grace, or, a, or just a certain amount of grace from God. We can experience Him, we can, we can come to know Him. But when that time comes, when we have to, will we be judged? And He says, and again, we don't know Him. He will send us to the pit of hell and Again, the thought of not having him around or his presence is just unimaginable to me. I think that's what Christ endured at that moment that he cried, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, the sins of the world were laid upon him and God could no longer look at him. He for a brief momentary time, for a brief momentary time, moment in time, God turned his back on, on Jesus. So Jesus experienced that, so that we wouldn't. If you've never done so, God is reaching out and asking you if you're willing to submit to Him today by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. You can do that today. You don't have to continue to live your life in rebelliousness. Continue, you don't have to continue to live your life apart from God. You can know him intimately and you can know him personally. You can to submit and you're going to be completely okay with it. It's like walking, seeing the edge of a cliff and knowing and God telling you, I'm right here, I'm, I'm going to catch you. All you have to do is just step over that cliff. And it's believing him, trusting him and knowing and submitting and saying, okay, Lord, I believe you, I trust you. What a beautiful feeling that is when you take that step. But all you got to do is just take it. And if you're hesitant and if you're, if it's, it's, it's hard, again, it's your flesh. It's all those years of rebelliousness, all, those, all that pride that's in you that's saying, no, 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 I can do this. I'm, I'm too scared. 
let go and just allow God to, to transform you, to move you, to change you into the person that he created you to be. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and want to do so, all you've got to do is just, well, I can lead you in a prayer to do that. Just close your eyes and bow your heads wherever you're at. Just pray this prayer to, to, to God with all your heart. God, I believe and I know that I'm a sinner. to die on the cross for my sins. Everything I've ever done has been laid upon him. I believe he is Lord, I believe he is God, and I believe that you sent him for me. So now I repent of my sin and I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Help me to grow and to see you and to know who you are. I accept this forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that, let contact us, let us know. If you need prayer, yeah, contact us, let us know. We, we will be there. We'll contact you. We'll, we'll get in touch with you. And, but as I mentioned, I mean, these are, again, you can see these, these can be some pretty controversial issues, some delicate issues. Not only just some people, some other Christians that, that still observe head coverings and who are completely legalistic about, about hairstyles and lengths and all that stuff, but society will reject a message like this. They can't accept it. But we, as Christians, as believers, we should be, I mean, this, this is God's word. No matter how difficult or how hard it is to read it, to hear it, to understand it, it's His Word and we have to accept it. Or you cannot and continue fighting and resisting. But as I mentioned, things will, you'll be blessed if you just go along with His plan. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time, this message given us. It's challenging, it's hard. Lord, maybe people here or listening have to chew on it for a while. Show them that it's your truth, your way, and that it's perfect. That you've established it for a reason. Lord, may we just be obedient to you and what you have to tell us, to teach us, to show us. Clean out all the mess, all the junk that's in our heart. And give us a new heart. Give us a fresh heart, Lord. Remove the blinders from our eyes and give us a fresh vision of who you are. and what you want us to be. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for making us men. And thank you for making us women. May we always honor and respect each other here in this church and wherever we're at. 
Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. Bless us next time of worship. Bless everyone's upcoming week. Keep them safe. Protect them with your mighty hand. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.